Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to grab a hardback black Bible, and if you're using one of those hardback black Bibles from under your chair, you'll want to turn to page 834. Every week as we prepare to end the service uh, together, we stand and we recite the Great Commission. We, we recite those last three verses in the Gospel of Matthew together, and we're going to do that again today as we get ready to head out of here. But we recite those verses together because, to, to just be blunt, Those are our mission. Those verses right there, that's the reason that we're here. As a church, we exist to live out the command that Jesus gave. And as we prepare to celebrate Easter in the weeks ahead, I've been telling you guys for some time now that we have an opportunity before us. You see, we're going to have folks come to the church that are open to talking about Easter that don't normally come, that aren't open to talking about things about Christ. And so we have kind of an opportunity to share the gospel with people. So this entire month, that's been our focus. We've been emphasizing the importance of evangelism. Uh, You may not, or you may remember, we started with first priority at the beginning of the month with an emphasis on sharing the gospel, of sharing our faith with people. Every one of our scripture readings has been reminding us that we're called to go and proclaim the good news we have in Jesus. So today I wanted to spend some time looking at this command that we say every week together. And and as we're looking at it, context is always helpful. Matthew 28 is a fairly short chapter in, in the gospel of Matthew. It's only four paragraphs long. But in those four paragraphs, we read about the most important event in all of history. And that's the resurrection of Jesus. But before we get to that, in the two chapters leading up to it, we read how Judas betrayed Jesus, how Jesus was arrested, how he stood before the Sanhedrin and then before Pilate, how he'd been tortured and crucified. As we come to the end of chapter 27, Jesus is dead. His body has been placed in a tomb. They've rolled a large stone in front of it. And just to make sure nobody tried to take his body out of there, they placed a couple of guards outside the tomb. But then as chapter 28 begins, we read of how Mary Magdalene and some other women came to the tomb and they discovered that it was open and and that Jesus' body was missing. An angel of the Lord appears before Mary and tells her, hey, he's risen, he's alive, don't worry. And so so the women, they, they turn and go to tell the disciples of this and as they're going, they encounter Jesus. And in verse 10 of chapter 28, Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee and there they will see me. That's the context for what we're gonna look at today. I need you to have that in your mind as we get to the verses we're gonna look at. So if you got your Bible open there, Matthew 28, we're gonna look at verses 16 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray. 
Lord God, as I've worked to prepare this message this week and have been studying this verse that for the Point Church in Alberta is probably the most familiar set of verses in your word, that there's been a concern that you've, you've weighed on me and, and me personally, and I, I think for all of us, because this is a command that we know, but many of us struggle to obey. And so, God, as we examine your word today and we, we dig into what this is telling us and, and how it's focusing our, our, our energy as we go forward, I, I ask that you wouldn't let this weigh us down with guilt, but that you would empower us to obey, that you would give us the, the desire and the energy to go out and live out this command that we're going to study today, that you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, do the work that you say that you'll do. Speak to our hearts. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, we ask that today would be the day that they would find the freedom available in you, that they would repent of their sin and they'd become a follower of Jesus today. Do the work that only you can do. We're trusting on you. We're desperate for you to work. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. I think most of you guys are aware that I have become a bit of a hobby farmer. Um, you all have heard plenty about my small herd of dairy goats. Some of you have, have gotten the opportunity to receive a dozen of our free-range chicken eggs. Um, I, I don't hide my hobby at all. I, I actually am kind of proud of it. I enjoy doing it. And so I think most of you know about it. But my hobby farming is a fairly new hobby for me. Um, I've got another hobby that I don't talk about as much, but I've been doing much, much longer, and that hobby is woodworking. I really enjoy carpentry, um, and I have for, for, gosh, as long as I can remember. I think it started because my, my dad would do a bunch of projects around the house, and, and I'd just follow him around. And so I remember one year for Christmas, I made my mom a, a little end table thing. And, and I think back to it now, and I think it was probably pretty ugly, but she liked it, and dad helped me build it. And when I was in, in third or fourth grade, I built this, um, it, it was like a triangle-shaped guitar-like instrument. Dad, do you remember that? I don't know. It, it had like a fishing line for strings. It sounded horrible, but I loved playing that thing. And, and that's what got me going in my hobby of woodworking. Um, over the years, I have acquired more tools, more, more skills, more techniques, and, and I've actually started to get kind of good with woodworking. And so I've built things like end tables and coffee tables. I've, I've built shelves, a, a washer and dryer pedestal for our, for our front load washer and dryer, candle holders, Christmas decorations. I built our chicken coop. I built our barn. Uh, my current project, I, I reclaimed some wood from the remodels we were doing here at the church, and I'm working to build a new dining room table for the family very slowly, very slowly, but I'm, I'm working to build a new table. I really enjoy woodworking, and I've started to get kind of good at it to the point where for a while I was referring to myself as an aspiring amateur carpenter. Now, now I say aspiring amateur carpenter. Um, my, my intent behind that is um, that I, I'm getting good in this hobby, but not so good as to call myself an amateur. Does that make sense? Like I aspire to be mediocre at best, right? That's, that's my goal. Um, but while, while I used to call myself an aspiring amateur carpenter, um, there, there's actually a better term that I should be using according to the people who know things. And um, I'm not one of them. The, the cool people nowadays, they, they wouldn't, you wouldn't call yourself a, a carpenter. You would call yourself a maker. 
Makers are this whole like subculture that has developed. And I see some faces looking at me like, trust me, you guys have engaged in the maker subculture and you haven't even realized it. It's become so popular that there are TV shows just for makers. There are YouTube channels dedicated to makers. There are websites dedicated to makers. I think most of you have seen me walking around with my little leather briefcase. My daughters like to call it my man purse. Um, but that was purchased on one of these maker websites. Who's purchased something from Etsy? Anybody? A few uh, more hands, I think, than the first service. If you've purchased something from Etsy, then you have engaged in the maker culture. Makers are woodworkers and metal workers. They're leather workers, uh, people who do arts and crafts, do-it-yourselfers, um, you name it, antique restoration. All of those people kind of combine to become makers, so the term that I should be using for myself is that I'm a maker. And, and as we're looking at the text today, what I want you to see is that Jesus has called us to be makers too. He's called us to be disciple makers. If you're a Christian, you weren't saved to sit back and, and rest in your salvation. We've been given a command to go out and to do something. So today I want us to look at this command. And as we begin to look at this command, I want you to see that before Jesus even gave the command, the disciples were already being obedient, even in the midst of doubt. Matthew tells us, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. If, if you're at all familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, then you may have noticed that this final event in the Gospel of Matthew is taking place in the exact same space, in the, in the same location as the beginning of Jesus's ministry. In fact, there's some scholars who, who think that, that this event, the mountain that this is taking place on here at the end of Matthew in 28, they, they think that this is the same place where Jesus gave his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, now, we can't know that with certainty, but really, it's not the point. The point for us here is that Jesus directed his disciples through Mary Magdalene and the other women to meet him here, and they obeyed. They came to meet with Jesus. And at this meeting, the disciples' new ministry was going to begin. And what I want you to see here is that they begin where Jesus began. They begin how Jesus began. Jesus began with obedience. He was obedient to the Father, and, and these disciples are being obedient to Jesus. So, so now, as they're being obedient, they're seeing Jesus. And, and as we're looking at this, I want you to use your sanctified imagination for a minute and put yourself into the shoes of the disciples standing there in Galilee. Like, you're a disciple. You're there, and you're seeing Jesus. This Jesus who had performed so many miracles right in front of your eyes. This Jesus who had been betrayed by one of your friends. This Jesus who had been arrested, who had been tried in a kangaroo court, who had been tortured to death, who had been buried. This Jesus who you personally knew was dead. That's who you're seeing. That's who these disciples were seeing. And as they're coming to the mountain and they're seeing him, their response is worship. And that, that makes sense. You see, when you know everything that they knew about Jesus, when you had seen everything that Jesus had, had done as you had walked with him for three years, when you knew Jesus personally, 
and you knew that he was dead, and then you see that he was stronger than death, that he's alive again, worship is gonna be the natural response. So they worshiped. But Matthew says also that some doubted. And I'm really glad that that's there. I'm glad that Matthew tells us that they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Like, like how, how is that possible? How is it possible that they're, they're looking there and they're seeing Jesus with their own eyes and they doubt? I, I don't know. Now, now, there are debates as to whether the, the, this is talking about the 11 disciples of the inner core or, or if this is a larger group. Some think it could be a group as large as 500. I don't think that matters. You see, the word that's translated doubt here is distazo, and it means something closer to hesitation than unbelief. It's like they paused for a minute, and we don't know why they did that. Maybe it was, it was because they thought this was too good to be true. Maybe they thought that they were seeing a vision instead of Jesus actually in the flesh, but, but what really matters for us as we're looking at this is A, that they doubted, but B, I want you to look at how Jesus responded to them. The beginning of verse 18 says that Jesus came to them. Some worshiped, some doubted, but Jesus came to them. He came to all of them, not just the ones without any doubt. All of them. This is an act of reassurance. It's as if he wants them to know simply by his actions that he's coming alongside them as he gives them this command. And as he does that, he begins to speak and he, give them, he gives them this command that we call the Great Commission. So we need to remember that. We need to remember that Christ met them and put all of them to work. And, and what that shows us is that although we might have some doubts, although we might have some hesitations, Jesus, he, he isn't gonna wait for us to overcome those doubts. He isn't gonna wait to, to put us to work. He's gonna come to us as we are and he's going to put us to work in the middle of our doubts. That's what he did there in Matthew. And that's what he does with us too. And while that might be a little bit intimidating, like, like you might read this and start understanding what this is saying there in those couple of verses. And you're like, wait, 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 what? Je Jesus is going to come to me, even though I don't have all my questions answered, even though I don't fully understand this, he's going to come to me and he's telling me that I need to go and share the gospel? Really? Yes. That's what he's saying right here. But if that's you, I've got some good news for you here. Because this command starts with a foundation. It starts with some support that's gonna help us to obey. And the foundation of this command is Jesus himself. Take a look at verse 18. Matthew tells us that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That right there is the foundation. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, all throughout the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has used the language of the prophet Daniel to show that he is the Messiah, the, the son of man of Daniel's visions. And, and here, what he's doing is, is pointing to the fact that God has promised to give his Messiah, the son of man of Daniel, sovereign reign over all things. So Jesus is taking that promise and he's saying, hey, that's me. Matthew 28 here, Jesus is echoing Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. 
to show that the moment that had been promised many, many years before has now come to pass. Back in Daniel, the prophet tells us, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing that, that the source, the, the foundation of the command that he's about to give is rooted in the fact that God has kept his promise to, from Daniel and has given Jesus authority. R.T. France said that what had been a vision for the future in Daniel has become a present reality. The risen Christ, vindicated over those who tried to destroy him, is now established as a universal sovereign, and his realm embraces not only the whole earth, which was to be dominion of the one like the Son of Man in Daniel's visions, but heaven as well. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That, that word all there is pos. We've talked about this word multiple times in our study in Hebrews. It, it's a comprehensive word. It means that there is no authority in existence that Jesus does not have. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus went out into the wilderness and Satan attempt, tried to tempt Jesus to worship him by, by offering him all the kingdoms of the earth. He said, worship me and I will give you authority over all these kingdoms. But Jesus refused and, and Jesus chose to obey the Father. And instead of just the limited authority that Satan had to offer, Jesus has been given all authority. And this foundation, this, this authority that Jesus has, it, it should stir confidence in our hearts as we consider the command that he's going to give us here. Because it's a confidence rooted in the fact that he has this authority as he's sending us. So he will help us succeed. This command we're, we're going to look at here, it's a spiritual command. And Jesus has authority over all things spiritual. Like, I think sometimes we think about this idea of evangelism. We think about this idea of going out and sharing our faith with someone, and, and we think about it on the earth level. We think about it just like people looking at each other and talking with one another. But this is a spiritual thing. There, there's spiritual warfare going on in the background, in the midst of that. And Jesus, he has authority over that too. Jesus' authority is the foundation of the command that we're about to see. But now I want you to look at the command itself. In verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That, that right there, that's the command. And as we look at this command and we seek to understand it, I want you to see that there's a command part that tells us what to do, and then there's an explanation that tells us how we're going to get it done. The command is right there at the beginning of verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Therefore is pointing us back to Jesus' authority. Therefore, is pointing us back to what Jesus has accomplished, the, the confidence that we have in his authority that's been given to him. But this command, it, it gives us two things that we're going to do based on that. 
and both of them are important. Tells us to go and to make. Go means that we move. Go means that we are sent. Go is the reason I tell you every week at the end of the service, as we stand after we recite Matthew 28, I say, go, you're sent to live out the gospel. Go means that we get to work. We're not saved to sit back and and enjoy the benefits of being a Christian. We're saved to be sent. We're saved to be pushed forward in this mission. And we do that by going. So, So for some of us, go may mean leaving your family. It may mean leaving your your community, your country, your culture, and going to another country, another nation state, somewhere else where they speak a different language to share the good news of Jesus. That could be for a week. It could be for a month. It could be for a year. It could be for a lifetime. For others, go may mean leaving your house and heading into work or school, doing your job well, representing Christ well in your workplace, in your school. And as God gives you the opportunity, you share the good news that you have in him. For some, go may mean that you walk over to the fence at the edge of your property and you talk to your neighbor. For most of us, especially if you're a member of this church, go means that you're going to participate in the outreach events that we do. Things like the Sausage Festival next weekend, the Easter egg hunt after that, VBS this summer, Feed Alberta that we do through through the school break, and all of the other outreach events that we do in the effort to share the gospel with Alberta. For most of us, go means that. But for all of us, go means that we move. Go means we leave our comfort zones Trevor Joy's a a pastor out in Texas. I shared this on my Facebook page earlier this week, but he recently commented that the Bible does not have a framework for a follower of Christ that watches the mission of God unfold like a movie on a screen. We were created and called to play a part in what God is doing. All of us are called to go. You don't get to just sit on the sidelines It isn't just for Josh or Nathan or or your deacons. It's all of us. We're all called to go. You see, this is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the very best news available. There isn't a better news you could have. And, And if you're a Christian and you have that news, then you're commanded to share that news. So we go. But as we go, I want you to see the other half of the command here. I want you to see that it's, it's telling us what, what we do as we go. We go, and as we do, we make disciples. And this is important too, because we're not called to make converts. The goal isn't to get somebody to pray a prayer and then check a block off on a list of numbers of how many people we've gotten saved. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. There are plenty of religions across the world that are out to make converts. They're just looking for people who who will become adherents, who will say that they assent to their beliefs, that will follow their rules, but we want something better than converts. We want to see lives that are changed. We want people to have a personal encounter with the Savior of the world. 
We want to have people who have the kind of radical life change that is only possible when they come to know and love and follow Jesus. We want to see people that are freed from the grip of sin, that are freed from the slavery of drugs and alcohol, that are freed from the bondage of pornography, that are freed from the chains of anger and resentment, that are freed from the weight of past mistakes and failures. We want to see people that are set free from the sin that is destroying their lives. This last week, I, I heard about a family that's starting to fall apart, and it, it's, it's heartbreaking because at the root of that is sin, and Jesus can come in and heal that. But we've got to get the message to that family. That's why we're called to make disciples and not converts. But if we're talking about making disciples, then we need to define what a disciple is. So what is a disciple? I love how the Australian New Testament theologian Leon Morris defined a disciple. He said that a disciple is both a learner and a follower. A disciple takes Jesus as his teacher and learns from him, and a disciple also follows Jesus. Let me read that again to you. Listen to this. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is both a learner and a follower. A disciple takes Jesus as his teacher and learns from him. And the disciple also follows Jesus. And that's what we're called to make. People who love Jesus. We're called to make people who want to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus. Disciples are, are people who have a close attachment to Jesus. We're not talking about like casual membership in a club. We're talking about wholehearted commitment to a savior. That's what we're being commanded to go and to make here. And since we're being called to make disciples and, and not converts, we need to know from the outset that this will be costly because discipleship takes time. It takes effort. It's not something that you can do all at once. And we know that because of how Jesus is going to flesh this out in the verses that follow. He says how we're going to do it right there in verses 19 and 20. So look at them again with me. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the command right there. That's what he's telling us to do. But here comes the how. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the how. And that how has two facets. We baptize and we teach. Now, now we've, we've talked at length about baptism. I've, I've preached a whole sermon just about what baptism, baptism is and, and how we go about doing it. But, but for a summary purpose here, it's an external profession of an internal reality. That's what baptism is. Baptism is, is saying publicly, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. That's what baptism is. By the way, shameless plug, we're doing it next week. In between services, you guys at the second service, come early because we're gonna do that right out here in the courtyard and I want you to be here and participate in that. And if you're interested in baptism, come talk to me. We'll talk about next steps and how that happens. We'd love to get you in there. But the biblical expectation about baptism, what we see all throughout the New Testament is that baptism follows immediately after belief. 
We see that all through Acts. When Philip shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch as they were walking down the road and he explained the scriptures to the the eunuch, the eunuch believed and, and as they're walking, they see some water and the eunuch turns to Philip and he says, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? When Peter went to Cornelius and his household and he shared the gospel with them, they, they believed what they heard. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately Peter exclaims, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then he commanded them to be baptized. You see, baptism marks the public beginning, the public entrance of the individual into the family of God, into the community that is centered around and built around Christ. And so we're commanded to, be, to go out and to baptize. We're commanded to draw people in to the family of God. That's what it means to baptize. But we're also commanded to teach. And what I want you to recognize is that as much as baptism marks the entry into Christ's family, this, this teaching is how we're going to be sustained in the family. This is how we're going to be sustained in a life of relationship with Christ, following Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples, these 11 men who had followed him for three years, who had seen everything that he had done, who had a close personal interaction with him for three years, he's telling them to make disciples by baptizing and by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's the command for us today too. And what we need to see here is that this discipling, it's, it's going to take time. This isn't going to be a fast process. I'm, I'm not talking about a few hours or, or even a, a few years. I'm talking about a lifetime. Listen, we might get, get blessed to get to see somebody who's just radically transformed in a moment. God absolutely does that. But the far more common thing that we're going to see is the slow but steady process of sanctification. The slow but steady growth of looking more like Christ. It's kind of like what's happening in our yards right now. Like winter is finally, cross my fingers, finally over, right? And spring has arrived. And so our lawns are coming out of their dormant cycle for the year, right? Well, it seems like over the last week, all of, my, all of the lawns around my property anyway have, have gone from brown to green, and we've even had to mow already, right? Now, if you, if you were to go out to my lawn or your lawn, and you were to just pick a one-square-foot section of that grass and just stand there and stare at it like this, you wouldn't see it growing, would you? Like, you're not going to see those, those individual blades of grass growing, but we know that they're growing, And the reason we know that they're growing is if you mow your lawn on Saturday, if if your lawn is anything like mine anyway, by Wednesday, maybe Thursday, it's time to mow it again because it's turning into a jungle, right? Like it's it's growing. We're not even seeing it happening. And that's kind of like what it's like in your spiritual growth. So often, you're not going to even realize that you're growing, but you are until you look back and you're like, whoa, I would not have handled that situation the way that I did today a year ago. I am, whoa, I I am completely different than I was five years ago. That's what this, this discipling, that's what this teaching is going to accomplish. You see, the whole reason for this teaching is to lead us into a life of relationship with Christ, a life of following Christ. So we go and we make disciples. 
But let's back up just a little bit. Really quick, I want you to look at the first half of verse 19 again. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I think we need to talk about those last three words there in the first half of verse 19 for a second. You see, those are our limiting factor. Parents, you've, you've all given your kids some sort of a chore to do before, right? I mean, that's why we have kids in the first place is so that we can make them do things for us, right? Okay, like, so, so right after Hurricane Sally, our, our whole yard, our whole pasture was covered with those long needle pine branches. They weren't very big, you know, like, like this big, but they're completely covered. And, and we needed to get those picked up. Now, the, in the pasture, we had to get them picked up because the goats love to eat those long needle pines. They're just like their favorite. And, and if they eat too many, it can be bad for them. In the yard, we had to get them cleaned up because, well, they're ugly and I didn't want to look at it. So I turned to Katie and Kylie and a couple of their friends who were hanging out at our house, and I, I told them, uh, hey, I need you to go out and pick up the, the pine needle branches in the yard. And, and, and the kids did what kids do. How many do I have to do? How long do I have to clean up for? And I was feeling particularly patient that day. So I, I gave them, hey, I, I said, this section right here, from the fence to the driveway, from the front of the house to the trees, that section, clean that section up and you can be done for the day. And so they went out and did it. I gave them some limiting factors. And I think we as, as Christians, even as adults, we tend to, to ask those kinds of questions too. Jesus is, is giving us this command to go and make disciples. And we're saying, how many disciples do we need to make? How, how far do I need to go to make disciples? And so Jesus is telling us the answer. Those, those three words right there in the command tell us how far we go in making disciples. And the answer is to all nations. That word all is that same pos that we talked about a few minutes ago. It's, it's everything. And the word nations there, it's ethnos. It's, it's the same Greek word that gets, gets us the root of the word ethnicity, which might be an easier way to understand this because he isn't talking about nation states. He's not talking about countries. He's talking about people groups. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples of pos ethnos, He's talking about all the people across the planet. According to the Joshua Project, there are currently 17,459 total people groups on earth. And of those 7,422, that's 42.5% are currently unreached. 3.2 billion people on earth that have never heard the name of Jesus that have never heard the gospel. And Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's telling us, go and make disciples of them, of all people. See, the gospel isn't just for one group. It's not just for you and your neighborhood. It's not just for the United States. Stop thinking about the United States and thinking that we're the center of the religious world when it comes to being a Christian. We're not. The gospel is for all people, regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they came from. It's not just for you and me in our neighborhood. 
It's for everyone, every tribe and tongue and nation. And so if we're going to take this command seriously, that means we we don't get to pick and choose who we share the gospel with. We share it with everyone. And we keep on sharing until everyone has heard. That's what it means when when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But as I get ready to close out here, I, I don't want you to miss the promise that's tucked in at the end of the command. In the second half of verse 20, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I I love that right there. I love that command right there. I, I tell you guys that all the time. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I feel like I tell you just about every week as we recite this together that I love that part of the command because what Jesus is saying is that he goes with us as we go. We're not going by ourselves. And it's a good thing because we're not converts. We're disciples. And if you're a disciple, you've got to follow Jesus and you can't follow Jesus unless he goes with you. So Jesus goes with us. That should encourage us. We're not by ourselves on this mission. Jesus goes with us. The Great Commission is Jesus' command to us that we act, that we share our faith, that we proclaim the gospel, that we make disciples among all people everywhere. But all morning, I've been referring to the command, not the commission. Commissionings are sendings. In a commissioning, a a charge or a command is given to an individual or a group of individuals, and and then those individuals are sent out. So so in a real sense, this this is a commissioning right here. But but there's an interesting aspect of this commissioning right here that as Jesus gives this command, the the way he gives this command right here that that I discovered as I was studying this last week. And and when I I started studying it, I started looking a little bit closer at it and I started digging a little bit deeper at it. And and I started getting a little bit excited and I ran over here. I was over in my office over there. I ran over into the worship center and Nathan was back in the sound booth back there. And I showed Nathan this, like it, it got me excited because how Jesus gives this commission, it's the same way that God commissioned Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and 21 other reluctant and inadequate servants to go out and do what he was sending them to do. In Genesis 12, the Lord told Abraham, go to the land that I will show you and I will bless you. In Exodus 3, the Lord met Moses on the mountain and he told Moses, come, I will send you. And when Moses hesitated, when Moses doubted, what did he do? He said, I will be with you. In Joshua 1, the Lord told Joshua, go over this Jordan and I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In Judges chapter 6, the Lord told Gideon, go. And when Gideon hesitated, the Lord told him, but I will be with you. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you. 
He goes with us. It's, it's the same way, but what really got me excited was when I started thinking about the fact that most of these people that God commissioned in the Old Testament, they had reservations. Like, they, they didn't want to do it. Like, Abraham was old. Moses couldn't speak. Gideon wasn't sure. Isaiah came from the wrong kind of people. Jeremiah was young and didn't know what to say. And God used every single one of them. And I think so many of us are are unwilling or unsure to obey this command about living out this commission that Jesus has given us because we don't think we've got what it takes. We don't think we're gonna know the right thing to say when that moment comes. And so instead of just fumbling through it, we're just like, nope, I'm gonna do nothing. But what this is showing us is that God can use us in spite of our shortcomings. Jesus is going to go with you. You don't think you're up to the task? Welcome to the club. Nobody does. Every single one of these servants, all 27 of them, as God was calling them, he he wasn't looking for a perfect orator. He wasn't looking for the one with the strongest faith. He he wasn't looking for the one who had all of the knowledge. What he was looking for was someone who would be obedient. And whatever gaps they had, God filled them in. Abraham, God gave him a child. Moses, God gave him Aaron's voice. God gave Gideon the answers that he needed. He cleansed Isaiah's lips. He gave Jeremiah the words to say. And here's the thing, church. He'll do the same for you. Yes, it might be awkward. Yes, you might fumble around and not say it exactly perfect. God can use awkward. Don't believe me? I'm your pastor. And as you guys get to know me more, you know I'm awkward, right? God can use awkward. He can fill in the gaps. So stop trying to depend on yourself. Jesus is gonna go with us as we go. I told you earlier about the 7,422 unreached people groups across the globe. But there are two other numbers that as I was studying this last week that they, they really got my attention. 513 and 91. Those are the numbers for the United States of America. There are 513 people groups in the United States. And of those 513 people groups, 91 of them are unreached. That's 13 million people inside the United States who have never heard the gospel. 13 million people in our country who don't know Jesus. And it doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter whether they're here legally or not. Unless we share the gospel, how are they gonna hear it? United States isn't the center of the universe. God is. He's commanded us to share the best news of all. How are they going to hear that 
13 million people that if they died today would be doomed to go to hell because they've never heard the gospel and they live in our country. We have got the best news that we could ever possibly receive. How dare we keep it to ourselves? Share that good news. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pos ethnos. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. I'm gonna go with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has commanded us to be makers. He's commanded us to be disciple makers. Are you ready and willing to obey that command? We need to follow. We need to obey. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.